Being the Worst, Episode 29, recorded Tuesday, April 16th, 2013. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullah. In this episode, Carrie and Renat introduce the actor in the actor model of computation. They wonder if the actor's embodiment of communication via messaging may simplify the way that they reason about and implement their solutions. They discuss this potential use of the actor model in the context of their current usage of domain-driven design, application services, aggregates, and event sourcing. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Okay, Renat, it's uh, April 16th in the States here, day after the big tax day. Um, you're getting ready to come over here somewhere along the way. I think you're going to get married. So there's a lot going on and somehow you're going to squeeze in a conversation about our new infrastructure and some of the, uh, new approaches about thinking to help me understand a little bit about how do you make multiple aggregates talk to each other and how we link them together and all that good stuff. So before we get into that, congratulations on your, uh, impending marriage. That's awesome. And I uh, wish you guys the best. Probably talk about that when you get back and uh, your wonderful trip to where you're going and all that. But uh, for now, what are we going to get into today, man? Okay, first of all, thanks a lot, uh, mate, for the con- congratulations. That's uh, really appreciated. And I'm looking forward to all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, speaking about today's topic, the purpose of this episode, it would be like to try to explain to you uh, how we would structure aggregates, uh, like to make it simpler talking to each other. And based actually on experience of Locat SecureS, previously it was relatively hard to explain to people how you link multiple uh, aggregates together, how you make them talk to each other, and how you reason about the system, how you implement, for example, uh, multi-threading, how you scale out processing of certain workflows, etc., etc. So based on the experience of, with the previous systems and based uh, on the limitations that I know of uh, other service buses, message handling infrastructures, uh, the one thing that I'll be trying to bring into the look at SecureS, because it seems to solve a lot of problems, would be actor model. Okay. So actor model is something that comes uh, from outside on .NET. Mm-hmm. Uh, like pure, like wiki-defined actor model uh, doesn't even exist on .NET yet. Like there are no implementations. There are actually two lightweight implementations that are used in a few projects there called stacked and Redlang. We'll talk about them a bit later. Okay. But uh, long story short, like there is no native uh, .NET implementation of actor model. Okay. And on the other side, there is a really powerful framework. Probably people heard about them. It's Scala. It uh, runs on Java. And there is Akka, uh, which is like purely actor based. That I think is uh, built on the, on top of the Scala. I might be wrong here. A K K A, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. okay. And there is also uh, another uh, well-known language called Erlang. It's mm-hmm. one of the theories behind it. its name. It's Ericsson language. It was used in mobile phones to create really reliable systems and really performance systems. Mm-hmm. To give you an example, uh, it was okay in the old days when Erlang was being implemented. Uh, if phone had like one crash in a year, <laughs> no more than one crash in a year was accepted. <laughs> Obviously, that tells something about the requirements for the stability of the systems and the requirements for the approach with which you build systems. 
And yeah. approach means a lot because if you can think about systems in a simple ways, uh, if a complex problem seems to be solved with simple approaches, when you can reason about the system, then you're halfway through. Mm-hmm. One of the things I heard about uh, in my limited exposure to Erlang, I thought the other side of it was that it was also very tolerant to failures. Like it sort of accepted that failures are going to happen and we're just going to be, the system's just going to be really good at recovering itself and just going on with life. It doesn't really matter. Yes. So. Uh, I think it had uh, more tolerant, like uh, higher tolerance to the contract problems and something else. Uh, I'm not uh, extremely familiar with Erlang, so I'm a bit really wrong here. But the reason you mentioned Erlang is because it also implements the actor model or it has influences, or what, what, what does Erlang do with uh, the actor model? Actors in Erlang are first-class citizens. Ah. Like, they're the core. Like, uh, the, you can see that the entire language is built around the concept of actors. Uh, the same with uh, Akka. Like, the language is built on, around, and for actors. Okay. So, uh, the concept uh, itself is powerful enough. Uh, so uh, it seems to solve like uh, really diverse and varying computing needs mm-hmm. with a really nice level of scalability and performance. And so I hope that by explaining some of the uh, locate concepts through the prism of actors, it will make the actual uh, like implementations of top of locate secure simpler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I plan to adjust locate secure infrastructure slightly to make sure that it hosts actor code uh, as first class citizen as well. Awesome. Okay, uh, so the classical kind of definition of an actor, it's that it's universal uh, primitive for building concurrent and parallel systems, which sounds pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can think of an actor as something. It can be a person. It can be an old lady, uh, whatever, or it can be a robot. And it has a mailbox. Mm-hmm. So messages can come into the mailbox. Obviously, the mailbox has an address. So far, it doesn't really differ from uh, the stuff that we're talking about. Like, we were talking about the messages that can be delivered to an entity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have a mailbox that has an address. An actor is just some process that picks messages from that mailbox one by one and processes them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, maybe, like, messages from different places can come to the mailbox at the same time, but uh, in the end, they'll always be ordered sequentially in the mailbox. You can pick only one next message. Right. It doesn't guarantee what order the messages will come, but it will only process one message at a time. Yeah. Yep. Just uh, like your usual mailbox that you have by your house, and the, uh, like the mailman can actually mess up the messages while uh, dumping them into <laughs> the mailbox. Right. It doesn't really matter. Yep. What matters is just the messages usually eventually get through. Mm-hmm. So actor is just a simple process that is attached to that mailbox and processes messages one by one. Okay. And also... You can think of uh, an actor that it's not something that continuously runs. It processes the next message and then it goes to sleep. Mm, sounds familiar. Then when the next message comes in or it is handed to it by the system, it wakes up and processes the message. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the process maybe uh, like doesn't even exist between messages, but it has kind of it's a notion of a state. So it can record messages that uh, were received or it can record like, some outcome of these messages. In mm. other words, it kind of kind of record events that uh, occurred because of messages were received, mm-hmm. or it can uh, record flat state, like for example, a counter how many messages were received. Okay. Uh, and on the next time when actor wakes up and processes the next processes the next message, it has access to that state. Okay. So it has a recollection of the previous messages is processed, and based on that recollection, it can change behaviors. Mm-hmm. 
and also uh, actor obviously can res- uh, like process this mailbox uh, has the state and it can also send messages outside it can send messages to any actor that uh, address of which it has yes and obviously when you're building a system you can designate uh, a set of fixed addresses that everybody will know for example it could be global publishing or master or logging etc cetera, etc cetera. Wait a sec. I'm a little confused about. Th- I briefly I watched the Channel Nine presentation with mm-hmm. uh, Carl Hewitt and others on mm-hmm. about 40 minutes of the actor model, and I have a general idea of some of the words that they were using. But um, getting into applying it to what we've been doing and what we're doing in the GTD code base. So when you say that when you're designing a system, you can sort of pick whatever you want for addressing. Like, what's a very literal example of that? Something I might be familiar with. What would you do? Okay, so in currently, and so far in getting things done, mm-hmm. and being the worst podcast in general, and actually in Locate Securus, we had a different perspective on the things. Okay. We had application services, mm-hmm. which were kind of serving as routers. Okay. So we were sending a message, like command message, mm-hmm. and this command message was bearing an ID. Uh-huh. So application service was actually the process that was picking up uh, incoming uh, commands from the queue. Mm-hmm. And then it was based on the ID of command. It was loading, waking up the aggregate and passing that command message to it. Yes. So in other words, address of command was the ID of an aggregate that we were sending it to. Got it. Okay. So in our case, application service was kind of serving like an actor framework. Mm-hmm. And aggregate was like an actor to which messages were handed. Got it. Okay, so the application services was sort of our actor-like infrastructure that was helping the actor of our aggregates wake up based on its ID to do its work, read its state, make some change, and go back to sleep. Yes. Got it. So in each case, for each aggregate, we were kind of hard-coding the small uh, actor uh, framework around it. Mm-hmm. And this uh, actor framework or application service was interacting, uh, like was plugged into the message handling infrastructure mm-hmm. so that one command was coming in, the application service would uh, wake up an aggregate or load an aggregate by its ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while uh, aggregate was loading up, if it was using event sourcing, it would like read its history from the previous events. Uh, then we would actually execute the message by passing the command, like by invoking the method on aggregate. And then this aggregate, while uh, doing the invocation, first it can record the state, something that happens by uh, recording events. And also it can actually send commands to other aggregates by using command sending service, which would be injected as a domain service for the, from the application service. I know okay. that sounds complicated. It makes sense, and it sounds like just by the way that you recapped application services and put it in the context of the actor model that you mentioned that right now we create an application service for every single aggregate that we create. We have this common pattern that we're familiar with right now, which is you have an aggregate it goes along with an application service and its aggregate state, and those three things always get created every single time you create any aggregate. And it seems like, potentially, that the infrastructure approach might allow us to eliminate having to create an application service for every single aggregate because the infrastructure just knows how to figure out which actor slash aggregate to load. Uh, potentially, yes. Okay. And also, we kind of got this complication because we really wanted to decouple our aggregates from the notion of messaging. Mm-hmm. Because currently in the Locate Securus code, which has, has been refined over multiple projects, well, like the aggregate doesn't depend on almost any interface. It's just a standalone class that has methods which mm-hmm. can be invoked. 
And as a side effect on the invocation of these methods, we have changes as events which are accumulated uh, in the state. Mm-hmm. And the list of the changes to be published. And then our infrastructure, every time implemented as application service, it picks up these changes and saves it to the event store. And then event store publishes all this stuff around. Mm-hmm. And then as some advanced approach uh, in look at SecureS and in general SecureS as architecture, quote unquote, uh, what was happening when people needed to link multiple aggregates together was that there was a general rule of thumb that generally we avoid command handlers and aggregates inside them sending messages direct to aggregates. What uh, you would do instead, aggregate would publish events and then would dis- define an event handler, which would be called event handler or port or maybe sometimes even saga, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of reverse of an aggregate. Or I used to call the damn thing receptors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rule of thumb for this kind of stuff was that they usually have a really small state, that they subscribe to events and they publish only commands. Okay. And then all kind of complexity started because some people said that these entities, they can also receive commands because you want to be able to kill certain processes. And it was uh, getting all really, really complicated. Just to make sure I heard that correctly, in the quote-unquote proper CQRS uh, architecture, when you implement that, there was a, a notion that you're not supposed to let aggregates talk directly to each other by sending each other messages directly. And that that introduced some of the comp- complexities you were just talking about. And I know from listening to that presentation yesterday, that's pretty much in direct opposition of what the actor model would say to do. Yes. Okay. So with aggregates in Locket SecureS, at least my impression of how it was being accepted by the community, aggregates were really decoupled. It, they were decoupled from the messaging. Mm-hmm. They were decoupled like from the notion of messages. Okay. And in actor framework, notion of messaging, notion of inboxes, and notion of actual actor is the first class citizen. Mm-hmm. So kind of look at SecureS aggregates, they are afraid of concurrency. They're afraid of messaging. Quote unquote. <laughs> right. And native actors, they're friendly towards concurrency. They accept that there'll be messages, there'll be things happening in parallel. And that's what actually uh, I think real world is about. Obviously, my uh, interpretation can be wrong, but long story short, like aggregates as they are being implemented in classical domain driven design coming from Java or SecureSish designs coming from pure.net community, like they are decoupled from messages. I see. And here, what we're trying to do is we're trying to glance over the fence and maybe harvest some of the ideas that were really well-developed and really working in Java world, for example, in Scala, in Erlang, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, being a first-class citizen in the actor model where it basically says, you know, an actor must embody communications, that's kind of like the third principle that it's just fundamental. It's it's part of its DNA. It's nothing special. It's a requirement. It must embody communications. Before we get into how we might apply that to what we've been doing and what uh, historically the .NET community has been doing with aggregates and DDD community. Do they usually give any reasons as to why they thought uh, making it aware of communications was a bad thing? Uh, no idea. Okay. Uh, I think uh, like I didn't uh, encounter any kind of forum post or article where people were saying, okay, so we have the alternative of using, of using actors mm-hmm. uh, and we, like, we have an alternative of, of baking messaging as first-class citizen into the aggregate, and then uh, the approach of decoupling it completely. Okay. Actually, so, 
I think when I was, I was starting look at Securus and like secure event storage based approaches, I was trying to bake the stuff into the aggregates, but it seemed to be as if I were coupling too many things together. Mm-hmm. Because the messaging didn't stand out, it wasn't any different from event sourcing or identity generation or any kind of uh, any other kind of domain service. I wonder if it's potentially a historical byproduct of the traditional messaging infrastructure options that we had available to us, like uh, MQ series or MSMQ, where when you think of infrastructure and messaging as tied to two-phase commits and heavy infrastructure load, I could see where there might be big motivation and resistance to anything that looks like you're trying to tie the domain implementation to having to deal with that stuff. But maybe now that we're getting into event sourcing and the ability to persist this stuff in different, more flexible ways, the, quote, coupling to messaging may not be such a huge sin anymore. I I really don't know, honestly. Because uh, the notion of actors has been around for decades. Mm -hmm. And now that I consciously think about that, like the mental model of actors, like with this, uh, it's kind of, simple principles that actor has mailbox that it can process messages one by one that it can send messages to other actors mm-hmm. and that it can create new actors mm-hmm. by sending messages to them by sending special messages to them i guess uh like these f- principles they have been tested they have been discussed for decades <laughs> there are phds written about that people were uh defending their theses etc etc Yes. So, like, this model is well thought and it has been optimized to make sense. Okay. And the messaging model, uh, the kind of uh, application service and command handler model of classical SecureS, as it seems, uh, it's just a result of a few years of evolution. Okay. So, it makes sense in the short term, but based on my limited experience, like, uh, like limitations, clunkiness of this model, it starts to hurt. Yeah, and as we said uh, a couple episodes ago, that's what the whole point of this spike is, is it seems like there's some good concepts out there that might help with this complexity, and we're not sure how it's going to turn out, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, one additional kind of nice thing is that in the entire Being the Worst podcast series, when we were starting, we had one first-class citizen from the very beginning. The first, uh, like this class, first-class citizen Episode two. was about messages <laughs> yes. and the language. Yep. So we already bake in the like importance of the language as something like as the primary solid thing that we base our systems on, mm-hmm. and we're using heavily domain-driven design and its methodologies to make sure that the language is really solid, that it's ubiquitous mm-hmm. within the bounding context. Yep. And here, so why not try to use the computational model, the model which explains how to reason about concurrently running processes, about uh, asynchronous processes, and the model that at the, at the same time is based upon the communication, about on the messaging, and it takes it as a first-class citizen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, actually, uh, like some additional side effect benefits of actors uh, without coupling to the DCQRS, basically when they persist from standalone perspective, is that, well, first of all, uh, actors, they map really well to real-world concepts. For example, a person that is dealing with tasks that are thrown to his inbox. When we're talking uh, about the basic CQRS principles, we kind of had this approach as well. Uh, and then uh, one additional benefit of actors is that they scale really nicely. For example, if you have a computing system and if you build your small, maybe standalone server that doesn't communicate with anybody else, but it processes load in multiple threads. So it tries to use the CPU as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. Probably you know that you can't actually have more than, th- well, if you try to launch more than 1,000 threads 
on a .NET VM on a usual machine, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to hit some problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for example, folks at JetBrains, they were having encountering this kind of issue with Resharper when they were discovering that at some point when you start like going launching new threads, like there you're already at the point of diminishing returns, it doesn't help. Mm -hmm. At the same time, actors are really lightweight. Like their execution is scheduled slightly differently because we have uh, a finite unit of communication, which kind of serves as a clock message. So uh, you can have millions and millions of actors inside a single process. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, since the system is aware about the actor as a first-class citizen, uh, it can determine how to organize actors and in which order to wake them up. It can optimize. Okay. Uh, and it can actually scale out. For example, by default, the system can use four threads to process actors, but if uh, all four threads are blocked by some actors which take a long time to process their messages, then it can easily spawn uh, new threads. Mm -hmm. So the system in, uh, basically can shuffle the actors, like the, act the actors that need processing. It wakes actor and puts it into some of the threads where it processes message. And then when actor finished processing messages, it can put it back to the sleep. Yep. So basically we can use, for example, four threads, but we can be maintaining uh, millions and millions of actors. I see. Because when we receive a new message uh, that has to be processed by the actor, we wake this actor, put it into the like this active kind of thread so that it will be executed. And after the message processing has been done, we free the thread and maybe use it to process some other message. Now, Renat, when we talk about the actor model today and in upcoming episodes and when mm -hmm. we're trying it out, I have a question about how I should think and reason about it just so I don't uh, smash mm -hmm. the two uh, domains, if you will, bounded context together. So if I was using the actor model as sort of an abstract way to reason about the way the computing happens in the system, what I'm struggling with in my mind is if I should start replacing the word in my head of aggregate with actor or if I should think of an aggregate as one implementation of an actor is what we're going to try. Yes, aggregate is one of implementation of an actor. Okay. So uh, basically, uh, aggregate is not an actor. Okay. We can host aggregate inside an actor. We can give aggregate properties of an actor. Okay. But we can still have some actors that are not aggregates, like in the sense. Uh, actually, to be correct, uh, each actor is an aggregate. Okay. But not every aggregate would be an actor. Okay, so we will likely in our infrastructure or somewhere in the GTD project actually have like a, an object or something called that's this fundamental particle, if you will, of a, of a base object called an actor. Yes. Uh, in other words, you can perceive that uh, actor would be a base class. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, if you want your aggregate to behave like an actor, you will derive aggregate from this base class. Yeah, and the, the reason I was thinking about it like that was because in the Channel 9 presentation that we'll have a link to in the show notes... Mm -hmm. One of the very first things that Carl Hewitt uh, mentions is that fundamental properties of the actor model is, number one, everything is an actor. And the first thing that came to mind is I'm like, okay, so if that, that would be sort of like everything in .NET as an object. Everything derives from system.object. And so I guess when you're applying the actor model, that is that sort of what they mean? Like everything in the system is fundamentally an actor? Yes. Well, uh, they're trying, well basically every sing significant entity in a system is an actor. Okay. Obviously, you can still have value objects. You can still have helper classes, utility classes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so it's still uh, a little bit. It's a little bit level up from like a fundamental, like just a generic object. It's any relevant thing as an actor. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay got it. 
And kind of similar, if we switch for a second into the DDD world, every significant item there is an entity. Entity is something that has a unique ID, mm-hmm. and uh, no matter how the properties of an entity changes for the, uh, its lifetime, it's still considered to be the same entity because it has the same ID. I'm trying to resist the temptation of thinking ID relates to address. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. If we consider to merge the spaces, and if we consider that IDs are globally unique, then we can say that IDs are uh, addresses. Because if you remember, we were sending commands to specific entities, mm-hmm. and we were including ID of an entity. Yep. So uh, in uh, complicated locate security topologies, there can be a routing mechanism that can say that all commands to aggregates whose ID begins with one uh, or like is divisible by uh, one or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, they go on the server A. Mm-hmm. All commands that have, for example, a reminder uh, of the division is two, they go to the server B. You can uh, uh, deterministically or consistently assign certain servers and say that this server manages all aggregates that belong from this group. Yeah, it's sort of like domain load balancing. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm, okay. Uh, and so from this perspective, like the IDs of these aggregates, IDs of these entities are their addresses. Cool. That was very helpful to jump over to the DDD vocabulary because DDD helps us understand that entities are the things that have IDs for the things that we care about. And then you said we would generally only make things that we care about actors. So that, that seems like it's a one-to-one match there for me. So that's cool. So basically, the primary difference is that actor mm-hmm. is a term from a computing vocabulary. Okay. Aggregate is a term from the vocabulary. Yep. And, and entity is a more generic term. So uh, to summarize the vocabulary, mm-hmm. uh, entity, you know, we call entity a thing that has some ID that uniquely identifies it within certain namespace, like within certain area. And no matter how properties of this entity change, it will still consider it to be the same as long as its ID is the same. Got it. For example, a person is identified by its first name, last name is not enough, usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, in the country, a person is, can be identified by his passport number. And this passport number will be efficient only within this country because somebody else in the United States can have, have the same passport number or social security number. Mm-hmm. But like globally, these two people are still are different. And in the same country, if somebody else shows the passport and the ID is the same, it will be considered to be the same person. One thing that was a little confusing to me when I was listening to that presentation, because there was a distinction in that video between the concept of an address and the concept of an, an ID, if you will, they, Carl actually made a very distinct point that they are not equivalent, mainly, and he gave an example of... Um, because you can have there have many to many relationships where like one address can actually have multiple identities behind it or something like I don't remember exactly but are we going to sort of cheat and say no that's not allowed or is it possible I guess I was confused because in that presentation mm-hmm. he wasn't allowing the questioners to equate address to one single identity there was a, an example where one address actually had multiple things behind it because it's a many to many relationship. And I Absolutely. was like, uh, what? So for 80%, for 90% of the cases, we'll have ID uh, equivalent to an address. Okay. Although there might be some cases where ID is not equivalent to an address. Okay. For example, when we're sending a command to some actor that is supposed to do, let's say, uh, some computation. 
Mm-hmm. However, in reality, it's a front ID will not be uh, like the same as the actor that will be processing that message because that actor will be sitting on the mailbox and somehow routing the real messages to somebody else. It will be serving as a proxy. Ah, uh, okay. And actually what we were doing in Locat SecureS, we had, for example, ID, which was value object. Mm-hmm. And this value object could be translated to a string representation. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we had user ID of uh, 24, that it can be converted to, this, to string as user-24. Right. So they look kind of the same class that has the name and string representation. Mm-hmm. However, the string representation was the address. And in the code, we can probably write some hard coding, we can write some routing saying that address of user-24, uh, like when messages comes to that address, it will actually go to user-24 and uh, user-26 simply because uh, user-26 has this weird rule that it duplicates everything that happens to user-24. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, as we start getting into the implementation and when we hit those, it'll make a little bit more sense to me. You can show me like the code where those 20% cases are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, uh, one more uh, example of this case, it relates to the uh, event sourcing. Mm-hmm. So when command arrives to the application service or an actor, uh, we need to load state. Mm-hmm. And we load that by looking at the event stream. Yes. Uh, and when we look to the event stream, we say that the name of the event stream, which we load, it matches to the identity. Like uh, it is composed from the ID of an actor or ID of an uh, aggregate to which the message came. Mm-hmm. So that's something that works in 90% of the cases. Although uh, at certain cases, like in certain processing scenarios, we can say that no matter like if message came to the mailbox called audit, it doesn't matter what's the ID of that command, we'll load the event stream called audit and just append message to that. Oh, because our actors, they just need to know an address of something to send a message to. And that if that address happens to be the audit mailbox, it doesn't care. It just knows that I can send a message to another actor whose address is this mailbox. And when the mailbox address picks it up, it can decide if it cares about the aggregate's ID inside or not. Absolutely. Okay. So, for example, if we have them address called processing endpoint mm-hmm. and we send a command to that uh, saying add credit of $24 to user uh, 100 mm-hmm. so even though we're sending this to the address of uh, processing endpoint mm-hmm. this message will be actually processed by the uh, actor responsible for user 100 because it will be routed to the user 100 in the end I see, okay so what we're saying is that uh, in majority of the cases, in our uh, world, in our systems, addresses will be kind of exact representations of their identities or IDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, for example, uh, name of the stream, like stream name, will be an uh, exact representation of an aggregate associated with it. Okay. However, there are always exclusions. We can have uh, in certain processing environment, case where uh, we're loading the same event stream for all aggregates. Uh, sorry, uh, to be correct. So we're loading the, uh, like the, absolutely the same event stream, no matter what is the ID of the command that comes in. I I think that's what I experienced with the the current GTD, unless I did something wrong. But I, is that what the current event store does in in the GTD sample right now? Oh, if I remember your question correctly, you were asking like how I was actually storing, and do we happen to mix multiple? How, how uh, like where do do physically events for single event stream go? 
Yeah, the bottom line of that question was I, I had the impression that each aggregate always had its own event stream with its own history. So an aggregate ID has equals a unique history of an event stream in the event store has a bunch of event streams in it. But this weekend I was messing around with the GTD sample and I was trying to add a second instance of the trusted system just for the heck of it. You know, what happens if I tell it to create trusted system number two? And it seemed like the event store was combining the events for aggregate one and two into one stream. Okay, uh, so basically event store, it can persist event streams from multiple aggregates interleaved within each other. I see. So we can have like 10 events from uh, aggregate one or event stream for right. aggregate one, then a few events from the second event stream, then a few events from the first uh, event stream again. What do you normally do with event stores? Uh, that's how it is done normally. Oh, is it usually done by like type then? You know, like all trusted system aggregates will be in one stream? So uh, the stream is just a group of events mm-hmm. that are associated with the same stream ID. With the same stream ID. So, the, okay, so stream ID is all that matters. It doesn't matter if it's the same aggregate type or not. Like you can put anything you want into a stream ID. It's just you might choose That's to partition stream IDs based on usage or something. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, in, in our cases, in cases of event sourcing, uh, aggregates with event sourcing, we say that uh, stream ID is usually derived from and based on from aggregate ID. I see. Uh, and event store uh, basically is just a storage that has three methods in a simplified approach. Mm-hmm. It's, it can append new events to the store uh, and uh, also tag them to have the specific stream ID. So it can say uh, append events payment added to user by name uh, user 24. I see. And then the, each stream ID has that current version that we're checking and it, that's how it knows if it's out of sync basically. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. And so uh, then so we can put a stream. Uh, we can put uh, append event to a given stream. Mm-hmm. And what the event store will actually do, uh, it will append like event to the, uh, in, uh, to the tail of the entire uh, storage, mm-hmm. but it will say that this specific event be- belongs to this specific stream. Okay. The, the second thing that event storage can do, it can replay all events chronologically from the beginning to the end, or like a specific section, in the order that they were appended. Mm-hmm. So uh, if first we uh, appended event for event stream 1, and then we appended event for event stream 2, then it will replay them uh, sequentially by returning first. Like, this is event 1 from uh, event stream 1, this is event 2 from event stream 2. You mean you, would, you can combine them? So basically, it like uh, when we're appending events to the event storage, mm-hmm. like it stores them all sequentially. It mixes the st- streams together. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, try to visualize the event storage, uh, and you say that uh, event streams from uh, event like events from event stream one are colored green, events from event stream two are colored red, mm-hmm. uh, and you keep on appending to them to the tail, uh, like in the order that they come in. So the entire event storage will be colored like in different colors. Right. And then uh, like we can append events to the end of the event storage. And then we can query the event storage to return us events exactly in the order that they were appended in, mm-hmm. like historically, mm-hmm. without any regard to the stream to which oh. they belong. Okay. Uh, but obviously, like, one uh, event store would be returning events. It would say, okay, first I had this event appended, and it uh, it was associated with that stream ID. 
then I had this event appended and it was associated to the, with that stream ID. Yeah, and I guess what the the reason I was even asking is because it seemed like that in our, in the case of a trusted system, it seemed like if it was all mixed together that if I just want my projects and actions and none of Renat's, why would I want to waste the cycles to read all of Renat's history on all of his actions and projects just to get mine loaded into this second trusted system? Like, okay, uh, yes, that makes sense. And that's exactly why event storage by default, like in a very minimalistic scenario, has a third method. Ah. The third method retrieves only like the events historically but only with a given event stream ID. I see. Okay, so it's all what you tell the event store to do with this, how you yes. query it. Okay, got it. Yes. Uh, so basically, you can append events to the end of the append-only storage and mention that they belong to this ID, and then you query either of them fully historically or historically with a filter on event stream ID. I see. Uh, and when we're dealing with aggregates, uh, when we're like loading them to handle a message and then saving them back with new changes, we're like when we load them, we load them only with a given ID. So we don't know even at that point that other event streams are living uh, side by side in this event storage. So uh, basically, the event storage is a concept that says that we're storing events mm-hmm. and we're storing events as, while associating with them specific stream IDs. And we can load these events by stream ID or fully historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, loading events by stream ID is used by uh, when we working with aggregates. Loading events historically is used when we're working with projections. Uh. Like, we're, for example, when we're rebuilding the projections. Mm-hmm. And here's one more interesting similarity. Uh, currently in Locket Secure S, we have distinction between projections and event handlers that update the views. So like in existing getting things done code base, we have this trusted system view. Mm-hmm. Which, as you remember, is used to populate the console. Yes. And when new events come in, they go to the event handlers that happen to uh, update the in-memory view. And then next time when we query view, we like get the latest version and print it to the screen. Mm-hmm. And also when the system starts, it asks the event store for the whole full history of events. And it uses that history to rebuild the in-memory representation of a view to make so that it will be to the latest version. And then it will keep this in-memory representation, the view, up to date, updating with, with the latest events. Mm-hmm. And there was actually elementation with this approach in Locat Secures, which was coming from this event handling perspective. It was based on the fact that we need first to have two different workflows. First, to rebuild the projections. Should they change or should new projections be added? And uh, also since we're uh, handling events one by one. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we already did with data platform at Locat, data platform is kind of simplified event storage that was designed to abuse Windows Azure so that it will store millions and millions of events. <laughs> and these millions of events can be sitting in event storages that are gigabytes large. Okay. And we had really simple uh, concept of projections there, but it wasn't about event handlers that receive events one by one. It was around concept of simplified actors. Hmm. Uh, we had a projection, which is a process that continuously checks the event stream and asks for the next messages that came. So it kind of checks its mailbox. Mm-hmm. But in this case, our mailbox is event storage and we're asking for the new messages that came in. Mm-hmm. And each projection, it asks for the next amount of messages it can handle. Sometimes it can handle like 
10,000 messages at once. Sometimes it can handle 100,000 messages at once. Mm -hmm. So the projection accepts this 1,000 messages at once. It updates its internal state, and then it goes uh, and gets the next 10,000 messages. Mm -hmm. And because we're batching the messages together, we don't process messages one by one. We can handle uh, millions of messages really fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, like this approach that view updating projection is just something that gets like reads messages in batches processes them maybe update certain state and then also saves the checkpoint saying okay i last time i was reading mailbox to this point so next time when i'm asking the mailbox for new messages i am saying i'll be saying that please give me new messages from starting from this id mm -hmm. okay so this kind of looks like a, a batched reverse implementation of an actor <laughs> right and it doesn't have uh, problems with projections from Locat SecureS uh, because you don't have rebuild phase. You don't need to uh, detect if your projection code is changed. All you can say to the projection when the system starts is that, hey, uh, the system starts, and please set the checkpoint, like the last process ID, for the trusted system projection to zero. Mm. So when the trusted system projection starts, when the server starts, uh, it will see, okay, so we are at point zero, so we haven't processed any messages, so let's start processing messages forward from now on. Message forward from where the projection state last left off? Yeah, okay. uh, and in, uh, in our case, like since the checkpoint is zero, so we're starting from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So in uh, other words, in, in the actor world, projections are just actors, mailbox of which is an entire event storage. Hmm. And they receive messages from this entire event storage and process them in batches. In uh, existing look at SecureS world, mm -hmm. event like projections mm -hmm. were event handlers that were reacting to messages. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, when Aggregate was publishing messages, or mm -hmm. when publishing events, each event would be applied to every subscribed projection. Mm -hmm. But then, if the code of the projection was changing, or if we added new projection, Yes. It couldn't just uh, continue like receiving new messages because like it wouldn't have a state matching to the events that happened before because it never got these messages. Uh. It was just added to the code. Mm -hmm. So for example, if in our getting things done system, mm -hmm. we add a new projection that would maintain a simple amount of total open tasks. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have any smart rebuild mechanism in place, when we start our uh, like getting things done console, it will say that total uh, thing tasks done or total open tasks are zero. And then when we uh, close one task, when the message goes through, when the message gets published, when the message arrives to this projection, the projection will be incremented by one. Hmm. Although in reality, we might have not one closed task, we might have 100 tasks that were closed before this projection was added to the system. Mm -hmm. So uh, the only way to resolve the situation is when the system starts, we take the history of events and we replay it for this projection. Yeah, the yeah we we always every time we start the console, we we read every single event and f and throw every single uh, event towards the in memory projection that has to react over and over again to them like it did the last time we ran the console. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, although in production, like we can't afford replaying all event storages, like all events for the projections every time the system starts. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we need to kind of persist the last state somewhere on the disk. Right. So that when the next time system starts, we'll like, okay, we have the, uh, the views already to the latest version. Mm -hmm. And so new events will just, when new event comes in, 
the uh, event handler will load the previous state of the view from the disk and it will update it. So, mm-hmm. for example, it will update a counter stored in the file one by one. So that part makes sense to me with you know how we have to deal with that in GTD because I've looked at how the projection is reacting to the events that it cares about to get to derive the current view in the console. What I failed to connect uh, for whatever reason was what you changed in the data platform to make it so you didn't have to do that anymore. So I made we we actually uh, as a team uh, we made the concept of events of mm-hmm. messages. Like of uh, like reading events, uh, reading messages from the mailbox or event storage, mm-hmm. first class citizen. Ah, okay. So your new projections can they embody communications like an actor does? Yes, okay. they read. They explicitly ask platform to give them next hundred events or thousand events or one event. Oh, right, right. Because uh, we went from a reacting to when the platform spits out events to a hey, I can handle this myself. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, and like that's a, a really simple thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually has two long-term uh, effects. Mm-hmm. First, it speeds up the processing immensely because by default, the infrastructure assumes that the projection can handle events only one by one. So it force feeds events to every single projection one by one. Mm-hmm. And uh, like doing something one by one, it has a huge latency. Right, especially with and, giga- uh, gigabytes of data. Absolutely. Yeah. And for the years to come, it was known that batching things together is uh, a way to reduce the latency. But if we are feeding events to somebody, like if we are feeding uh, events to uh, some new baby that is not aware of the events, so we have to be as careful as possible, so we're sending one event by one. (laughs) If we let the projection grow up and make it aware of the incoming events, Mm -hmm. and it can then decide... Uh, then I'm fully grown up and maybe I'm like located, I'm implementing such a logic so that I can safely handle thousands of events, mm-hmm. uh, like batches of thousands of events. Then suddenly we can in place optimize projections a lot. Got it. And at the same time, we're completely discarding this complicated startup rebuilder, uh, rebuilder logic in Look at SecureS that was causing a lot of troubles. Uh, because it's complicated, it has to it has to batch events in memory anyway. Because, like in uh, startup scenarios, uh, it has to do really smart logics to avoid rebuilding the views that change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And if projection is aware uh, about its version, like the place uh, on the mailbox where it processed, mm-hmm. or a pointer on the event storage, like the last known event that it processed. So if it uh, knows exactly that it requests the next 10,000 events from the stream, and it knows exactly that it processed 90,000 already, mm-hmm. and it handles this concept explicitly, then for some reason, uh, projections become much simpler. They are become uh, a lot more easier uh, for people to comprehend. They become more performant, and we don't need complex logic that would do reflection of .NET code to determine if projection is changed and if we need to rebuild the caches. Mm-hmm. I see. Because if we know that we need to rebuild the caches, then the developer can just say that this projection is version 25, like uh, this is new version of the projection, like maybe version beta. Uh, and this would mean that when system tries to load its own counter, it will not just discover version file named beta. Mm. So it will assume that it's starting from the scratch, so it will start processing everything from the scratch. It lets the projections uh, optimize itself. Like, I, hey, this is nothing's changed. I can just continue. I can save a lot of time by just continuing where I left off. Versus, 
uh-oh, they did something different. I need to reset myself from the beginning. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And in look at Securus, uh, the problem of the infrastructure was that it was trying to optimize for the projections. It was trying to do a lot of uh, complicated things to work around the limitations of projections. Mm. In the new data platform approach that was already proven, we're making the projections a little bit smarter. We're making them aware of the event storage and messages as first-class citizens. It's kind of the same thing that we've done with aggregates and actors. Yep. And technically, uh, projections and actors from this perspective are still the same. Actors process messages maybe one by one or maybe multiple times by multiple times. Uh, we don't care. And projections, they also process incoming messages, in this case, events, and they update their internal state. Mm-hmm. However, in our case, like in case of projections, the internal state is called views and it's accessible by uh, web UI or console UI. Mm-hmm. That's it. Got it. And so uh, basically, uh, if you need, if you're building, for example, a registration system or com- building a complica- complicated business system uh, in the actor world, for example, from the UI, you can send a message to a registration actor with new ID, with a random ID, saying, okay, now start the registration process with these IDs. Mm-hmm. Then the new actor will be born and it will start processing. Maybe it will send a message to, uh, it will somehow grab the uh, IDs of the new user that it will use, or it will request identity actor to give it the new ID. And then uh, given the new IDs, like new numbers, it will say, okay, now create actor for user 235 and create maybe account for with ID 236. Mm-hmm. And this and then is ins- w- inside the registration actor still, right? No, the registration actor will start the process. Right. So, yes, the registration actor will uh, com- uh, like handle the communications, but then it will send a message to this new user actor saying, okay, now processed user create command, create mm-hmm. user command. Mm-hmm. And then the message will flow to this user actor. It, maybe it will do some uh, additional due diligence, and then it will send back the message to the registration actor saying, okay, I'm done. And then the registration actor might publish an event. Registration is complete. This event will go to the event storage. And then one of the projections that is responsible for tracking registrations will find the new event that comes in and it will update the view with registration IDs, giving it a flag that that registration is complete. And then the web UI that is waiting for the registration to complete on the next poll of the storage, it can be files, it can be key value database, it will discover that there is already a view of this ID and it says that registration is complete, you can log in. What I recall from the uh, video that I watched was that there was a big emphasis, it was a very important point made by Carl that said there are no channels. The whole point, because we're embracing the communications mechanism of an actor, you don't need these complicated channels and protocols to manage the workflow of passing messages between actors because the actors can handle it themselves. Therefore, is it true in our implementation that we might say that our messaging infrastructure and our aggregates not being aware of it has required us to have all these other things like process managers and workflow things going on because we didn't allow the actor to just manage the workflow itself. Uh, come again? I think I was still with <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, so what I'm getting at is it seems like what you just finished describing was that all the extra code that you needed to write in the past to manage a workflow or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. Saga process, so that you know these three aggregates know how to deal with each other. It seemed like there was a bunch of other stuff going on to make it the process work. 
do you put that logic inside of the actor now so it knows like the next step when I'm done I'm the registration actor I know that when I'm done I fire this event over directly to user I don't need to hey I hope the user's listening I actually send it directly to the user address that I already know or the user handler or whatever like is it simplifying the communications or like what's what's going on here Okay, uh, you got it uh, exactly correct, although you managed to, to uh, swap the notions. Okay. So uh, an existing look at SecureS, like uh, in, in the sample code, a registration was publishing an event. This event was picked up by some event handler that was converting into the command mm-hmm. and sending the command to the user. Yes. Then when user was processing the command, it was publishing the event, and it, this event was being listened to by another process, by another event handler, and this event handler would send command back to the registration. Yes. That was happening because we were decoupling messages from the CQRS, and we were saying that command handlers or aggregates, they can't be coupled to each other. They can't send messages to each other. Right. Because that would mean uh, that would couple aggregates to me- uh, message sending code, and that would supposedly make the, everything more complicated. Right. And now in the actual approach, we say, okay, heck with that. We assume that messaging is first-class citizen, that concurrency is first-class citizen, that asynchronity is first-class citizen, and we're accepting the notion of actors. Mm-hmm. So, yes, registration can send create user message directly to user aggregate. Right, so that's the key difference, I think, that I was asking about, was in registration, normally you would just have it publish an event to update state for something else to care about. In this case... You would publish the event so that registration updates its own state, and now it's okay for registration to generate the command message. Yes. Got it. Whereas in the past, we we would never do that in the past, right? We would never allow an aggregate like registration to fire off a command. In pure SecureS, you would never allow that. Okay. Although, as I've discovered in every single project and every single SecureS project, I was cheating <laughs> by injecting domain services that were like just for the heck of the ceremony. Uh, you always inject domain services via the double dispatch from application service to an aggregate. Mm-hmm. And these domain services were actually sending were kind of abstractions that were hiding away the fact that aggregate was actually sending commands sometimes. I see. Okay, so that's an example of some of the complications you have to in- inject into the whole solution if you don't embrace the messaging with the actors. Yeah. Okay. So basically the primary, uh, maybe the outcome of the this episode mm-hmm. is the approach that we're trying to use uh, is, okay, screw that. We accept that we're living in message-based world because we're already spent so much time uh, discussing our messages and making these messages match the domain and be part of the domain model and resilient to the change. So let's embrace them completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this might make the design of the system slightly more simple to reason about because now we have a registration person that records changes, uh, like records events uh, in its own event stream, and then it orchestrates users and maybe accounts directly by sending commands to them. Question about that, even though I know we're running long here, we got to wrap it up soon here. When we say, like, let's say in this example where registration now embraces messaging because it's an actor, and it, well, mm-hmm. it embraces communications because it's an actor, and we happen to use messaging for communication, we're embracing messages. Are we still sort of hiding the fact that there's an event store from it? Like it knows about messages, but it doesn't know anything about event stores, right? Or like does it have its own event store, its own event stream? Like how do you think it's actually going to get implemented for it to deal with its own messaging? 
Uh, it's hard to say. Okay. To keep things simple for uh, existing Lookout Secure users, uh, I'll try to use the same, almost the same design of aggregates that we, we used to have. Mm-hmm. So the event storage for an actor can be, will be abstracted away. Okay. Maybe it is not the approach to handle, but we'll see. But it just so it doesn't care. It just knows that it's now allowed to do deal with messages. Or yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I hope that wasn't extremely, what's the word, over-designed and complicating. And I hope that now, for example, when you're thinking about building some complicated or relatively large project mm-hmm. that involves multiple things uh, interacting with each other, it would feel slightly more simple and intuitive like about the way how to build it. Yeah, I think it will once I start seeing the actor model implemented. You know, like I, it's probably helped when you were doing the data platform and t- applying these these abstract concepts to code that's solving your problems you're actually experiencing. I think that once we start doing that in this project, it'll it'll help to to think about it because you start eliminating all the those confusing things that you need to inject into the solution to to handle all this communication between aggregates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else? I'm glancing through my notes here just to make sure. Uh, was there anything else in your notes that we wanted to cover related to the actor model and the concepts, or did we cover? Uh, not really. And okay. actually, uh, we covered a bit more that I, I planned. Mm-hmm. And well, if we were to break this episode into two, like uh, the outcome of the second half of this episode is that hopefully and ideally, look at security the way it evolves. And currently, actually, the evolution doesn't happen in the public code base. Because the time schedule is a bit limited, but uh, I've been changing uh, look at Secure slightly towards the actor model already within uh, a few private code bases. Mm-hmm. And it was already simplifying the code and simplifying the design quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking from this about this from purely a theoretical perspective. So like the way look at Secure would uh, be evolving in the near future, most likely, is that we'll have a few really simple concepts. With concept one being uh, event storage as something that can store events mm-hmm. uh, by associating them uh, with event stream, uh, with stream IDs. And that can also return all events like in the chronological order of their storage, or it can re- filter like events being returned by the stream ID. Mm-hmm. That's the first concept. The second concept is an actor, it's a sum process that has uh, incoming mailbox. Uh, from which it can pick messages, and um, this mailbox has an ID, so an actor can send can also send messages to other actors, uh, IDs of which it knows, and it can start more actors. Mm-hmm. And third concept being projection. So projection is uh, just another type of process, really similar to actor, but that has a purpose of processing incoming events. And it can do that uh, one event by one, or you can do that in batches. Projection remembers last checkpoint, last place on the event storage up to which it processed events. Mm-hmm. And based on this, it updates the state accordingly. And the state can be stored in key value storage, like look at secure key value storage. It can be stored in SQL database. It can be stored in Redis da- database, Lucent index, etc., etc. Oh, by the way, one more benefit of using like this uh, data platform like projections where projection actually requests events in batches from the event storage mm-hmm. is that we no longer need complicated projection logic to rebuild the events, to ref- like to rebuild the cache. So we're no longer limited, we're no longer constrained by the 
document storage, which means that we can use any type of storage we like. Hmm. So the projections would be friendly and would be, oh, they are, already are, uh, more simple to store in any kind of storage. Hmm, nice. So uh, basically, ideally, a uh, look at SecureS uh, will be about three relatively simple and established patterns. Event stores, actors, and projections. Okay. So uh, basically, uh, the, uh, the question is, so did it make any sense? Like, did the larger design of the system become slightly more simple and understood for you from the theoretical perspective? I think so. It always helps me when I start seeing these concepts turned into code in a mm -hmm, domain mm -hmm, that we've been working on. Mm -hmm. So I think the actor model is more simplified in general. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I Skyped you yesterday real quick that in the first minute and 27 seconds of uh, that video, mm -hmm. just by the way, Carl summarizes what is an actor. You're like, you, your brain immediately goes to, oh, yeah, that's exactly what we do with our aggregates and stuff right now. You know, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. yes. and So I think conceptually fundamentally to answer your question yes it made sense to me in the first two minutes of that video the details as usual remains to be seen of like okay i get the abstract model how would i actually mm -hmm. turn this into c-sharp code that does something useful and that's where you're going to come in <laughs> okay so so we'll see we'll see um we are at being the worst.com leave your comments feedback and questions there uh, Renat, that was cool. We actually got some questions back on episode two, I think. So if you get a chance, check those out. But it's mm -hmm. nice to see that, hey, if you're just listening now and this is uh, episode whatever it is, 28 or something, 29, if you're new to all this stuff, everything, even though we're talking about actor models and new things in this episode, if you're brand new to CQRS, DDD, messaging, uh, and all those concepts, uh, I'd probably recommend that you can easily go start from the beginning and work your way up to these episodes. So don't feel like uh, you would want to ignore all that stuff if you're not familiar with it. It's still all relevant and we're still new in these episodes. So check that out. Leave your questions and feedback there. We'll answer them. Oh, we're not mainly answers them. I just go there and say something that's wrong and then we're not going to come and correct it. But uh, I just thought that was cool that we're still getting uh, new people joining in starting from mm -hmm. the beginning. So um, we are on Twitter at being the worst. I'm at KC Street and Renat is at Abdulin. Anything else, dude, before you go back to planning your trip to the States and figure out what you're going to do the next month? Uh, not much. We'll try to keep uh, working forward and trying to make look at secure as more practical and understood. Obviously, we'll keep on trying to push the being the worst and state of the art forward. Thanks for staying with us and talk to you soon. Yep. Talk to you guys later. So we're not go start writing lots and lots of code. I, in, in, the, in the five minutes of sleep you get, just eliminate sleep and start writing code. <laughs> well, that's what I've been trying to do recently. Yeah. I, no, no pressure, seriously. I, you've got a lot going on in the next month, so if the code doesn't uh, move too fast, totally understand. So... Talk to you guys later. Take it easy. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.